Well, good morning. Welcome to our Sunday School Hour here at Long Hill Baptist Church. Welcome. I ask you to take your Bible this morning, please, and turn to 2 John, uh, not the Gospel of John, but rather 2 John toward the end of your Bible. Uh, this will be the third and I think final uh, message uh, from this short book, this short letter, uh, 2 John, just 13 verses. And someone might say, Pastor, do we need three uh, separate lessons on a book that is just 13 verses? And my answer is we don't need to rush. <laughs> There's no reason to rush. And so that is a good thing. Of course, as you know now, uh, this is uh, John's letter uh, either to a literal woman and her children, uh, or perhaps the address is more uh, of a metaphor and he's addressing a church. We're not sure. It could be either. Uh, in any event, the truths and the principles, the principles of, and truths that we see here in the letter, uh, we can mine them out and apply them to our lives with the Lord's help. I want to begin this morning by reading through these 13 verses. And uh, this morning we'll pick up uh, in our lesson from verses 9 through the end, verse 13. So let's go ahead and read, and then we'll pray and jump in at verse 9. Let's read. Uh, here in 2 John, beginning in verse 1, uh, the Bible says, God's words say, uh, the elder unto the elect lady and her children. John writes, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. Wonderful encouragement there. He says that he writes, for the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. No doubt he's referring to Christ there. In verse 3, he gives this sort of Paul-like greeting. He says, grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. No doubt this letter is a loving expression of truth, love and truth. Verse 4, he says, I rejoice greatly, <clears throat> excuse me, I rejoice greatly, that I found of thy children walking in truth, walking in truth, uh, as we have received a commandment from the Father. Uh, please don't forget, when you see people walking according to the truth of God's word, that's an occasion for joy. That's an occasion, celebrate that, rejoice at that. Uh, we need to be uh, encouraged uh, to rejoice as much as possible these days. And uh, here's a biblical occasion for rejoicing. Verse 5, he continues, And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, uh, and here it is, that we love one another, love and truth, truth and love. Uh, he, verse 6, he says, And this is love, that we walk after or according to his commandments, the Lord's words. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. Verse 7, he continues, for many deceivers are entered into the world. And certainly we know that today. Uh, here John is writing specifically of deceivers who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. 
Uh, here, John would have been referring specifically to those in the first century who practiced what we would call doketic Gnosticism. Uh, those um, adherents uh, to that belief system, they had many errors, most certainly including the error uh, regarding the truth that Jesus came with the physical body. He went to the cross with the physical body and shed physical blood that our sins would be covered. Verse 8, he says, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. We'll pick it up in verse 9 this morning, but let me read down to the end. He says, whosoever transgresseth, whosoever transgresseth there we go, uh, and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of Christ hath not God. Uh, he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Praise God. Verse 10 says, If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Don't, don't encourage him in his error. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. John closes at writing in verses 12 and 13. He says, Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. That the children of thy elect sister, the children of thy elect sister greet thee. And he says, amen. Let's stop there and pray. <clears throat> Father, we do thank you this morning, Lord, for the Bible, your words. Uh, gather together and preserve together for us. Lord, I thank you this morning for this short letter. There's so much here for us. Every word of every verse, uh, thy words accurately uh, preserved and translated for us in our King James Bible. Lord, thank you so very much. Father, I thank you this morning for my salvation. I thank you this morning for the wonderful privilege uh, to preach these words, thy words. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help me to do that well, uh, accurately. Father, I pray this morning that you would help each one uh, to receive your words and to understand them accurately. Lord, we desire this morning not just to understand, but to apply these things uh, just exactly as you desire. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us to yield ourselves to you, uh, to the Spirit of God this morning, and, Lord, to respond exactly according to thy leading. Help me now, Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's do jump in where we left off here this morning. We're in 1 John. We want to pick it up now in verse 9, verse 9 this morning. Uh, here, John warns about the consequence of not, quote, abiding in what he calls the doctrine, uh, the doctrine of Christ. Let's read verse 9 again. He says, whosoever transgresseth, and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God. Uh, so there's a serious consequence here. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. Uh, I would say this morning, the verse might seem to be a little bit difficult on its face, Brother Ray, 
uh, but we can analyze it a little bit and uh, with the help of the Spirit of God come to a, a good, accurate understanding of what we see here. Um, essentially, what we have here um, are two sort of if-then statements uh, at least implied. So basically, uh, the Lord is saying, if this, then this, or, or else, if this, then this. Uh, if one thing is true, the other thing is true. But if not, if the, if, if the only other alternative is true, then there's this implication. So uh, we can understand it that way. Uh, first, uh, first, we see this. Uh, if anyone transgresseth, uh, and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ. So uh, there's kind of a two-part if here, if you will. Uh, but let's consider it first. Whosoever transgresseth, uh, if anyone transgresseth, uh, we understand that to transgress, uh, really this word will usually be used in conjunction with the law, right? Or with the word of God more, more generally. Uh, to transgress the law or the word of God uh, would be to basically to break it, right? To, uh, to go beyond it or to be outside of it. Uh, but we can think of it simply as the idea of breaking, uh, breaking the law, breaking uh, the word of God, not obeying it. So uh, the first part of the verse is addressed to someone who would uh, transgress or break the law or, uh, or God's words. Uh, more generally. Now, uh, you understand, of course, this morning that the Bible says in Romans that we have all sinned uh, and come short of the glory of God. We have all transgressed God's law. Remember, please, this morning that the purpose uh, of the law, uh, the Old Testament law, is, is to serve as a schoolmaster. What does a schoolmaster do? He teaches, or she teaches, um, the, the law, God gave us his words, uh, the law initially, to teach us, to show us, to reveal to us that we're sinners. Uh, everyone has broken uh, one of the Ten Commandments at least. And so uh, the law has taught us that we have, in fact, transgressed. Uh, so the whosoever here applies to all of us, whether we like it or not. Uh, so we have whosoever transgresseth uh, God's words, whoever has sinned and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, then he hath not God, uh, he's not saved. Well, what is this doctrine of Christ? How, how can we understand that? Uh, well, uh, to be in Christ means what? What does it mean to be in Christ? That means to be saved, right? We've seen this all throughout Scripture. Uh, in Romans 8 and verse 1, uh, Paul writes there to the Roman church members, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Uh, so you may be a transgressor, and you may deserve condemnation uh, from the Lord, but uh, if you are in Christ Jesus, uh, there is no condemnation because you've been forgiven. The payment that Christ made upon the cross has been uh, imputed to or paid onto uh, your account. The Lord is expiated. His Father is satisfied uh, with that payment, and therefore there's no need uh, for condemnation or punishment. This is the idea. Now, look at it again, verse 9. Whosoever transgresseth 
and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God, hath not God. Well, the doctrine of Christ, uh, remember the word doctrine uh, has the idea of, of teaching. Uh, doctrines are teachings that we distill out of the Bible, the words of God, by comparing scripture with scripture uh, to arrive at some uh, statements about what the Bible teaches, Bible doctrines. Uh, we have Christology, the doctrine of Christology, which would be sort of a summary of what the Bible teaches about Christ. Uh, we have the doctrine of soteriology, uh, which would be a summary of teachings, what the Bible teaches about salvation. Uh, so the doctrine of Christ would be uh, a, a, an allusion to the totality of what the Bible teaches about Christ. Uh, certainly implied would be the fact that he died for our sins uh, and that he is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, there's no other way to be forgiven of our sins. Uh, this is uh, the doctrine uh, of Christ, or at least part of, and perhaps the most important part of the doctrine of Christ, at least uh, as it relates to our salvation. So, whosoever transgresseth, anyone who sins, uh, and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, and, and doesn't come to Christ for salvation, uh, that person hath not God. They, they do not have uh, Christ, and they do not have God the Father. Uh, please don't forget this morning, when you come to Christ for salvation, uh, you don't just have Christ, you have God the Holy Spirit, you have God the Father. Uh, you have all, all three uh, members or persons of the triune Godhead indwelling us, uh, and because of this, you have the wonderful privilege of coming boldly uh, to the throne of God the Father. In our 8.30 prayer time this morning, uh, the Lord brought to mind the wonderful truth that, you know, we're in a very different place than, than folks who lived under the Old Testament dispensation or, or dispensations. Uh, even, we're, we're in an even better place than the priests. Uh, we have a more privileged place than the priest did. We have an even more privileged place than the high priest of the Old Testament. Uh, they had the privilege, the high priest is the only man who had the privilege to come boldly into the Holy of Holies, uh, to, to come uh, face to face, <laughs> to come into the Lord's presence. Uh, and he only had the, the opportunity to do that once a year and only for a very short period of time. Uh, we have a much greater privilege in Christ, of course, who is the, the final, the ultimate great high priest and a much better uh, priest than the Old Testament priest could be or were called to be. Uh, we have the privilege to come unto the Lord, to come into his presence uh, wherever, whenever we desire. And of course, the Lord desires that uh, at all times, at all times. What an amazing privilege we have in Christ. John 2, forgive me, 1 John 2 and verse 23 says this, Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Uh, if you come to Christ for salvation, yes, you have Christ, but you also have the Father, and you have a wonderful privilege of coming boldly, prayerfully, uh, to God the Father 
through Christ, being led of the Holy Spirit as we do. And so we can understand the first part of verse 9. Whosoever transgresseth, all who have sinned, and of course that's all of us, and who subsequently abide not in the doctrine of Christ, who choose not to come to Christ, uh, humbly repenting and placing one's faith in Christ, hath not God. You're not saved. You don't have either the Son uh, or the Father. That's the bad news. But there's the second part of the verse. Uh, the second part of the verse is the good news. Uh, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, see the second part of verse 9 again. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ. A man who comes uh, and is in Christ. He, he's been saved and, uh, and continues uh, in Christ. He hath both the Father and the Son. What a joy. Uh, what a privilege uh, to know for sure that when we come to Christ, when we enter into uh, a, a saving relationship with Christ, abiding in the doctrine of Christ, we get the Father and the Son uh, in our lives, indwelling us together with the Spirit of God uh, and the wonderful privilege of access uh, to the Father. Uh, what a great privilege. What a joy. I want to take a moment uh, and say this. Uh, it's not a mistake that John uses the phrase doctrine of Christ here. Uh, it's not a mistake that he uses that. That's the, those are the specific words that the Spirit of God gave him to write down. And stop and think for a second, why is that so important? Why is John referring here to the totality of Bible teaching about Christ uh, and its role, its necessity, in our salvation, in having not only the Son, uh, but the Father. Why is that? Well, I think this morning it's, it's almost certainly pointing to the truth that you can't come to just any Christ for salvation. You can't have your own conception of who Christ is. You can't have a Christ that is not the Christ of Scripture and say that I've been saved, I have both the Son and the Father now. Uh, you can't uh, have, for example, uh, the Mormon Christ, uh, who is a created being, who is the brother of Lucifer. That doesn't work. Uh, you can't have the Christ of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, you can't have the Christ of the... Uh, of, of any of the cults that teach a Christ that is one iota different than the Christ of Scripture. The minute you have a different Christ, one who is not the Christ that is described by uh, the totality of Bible teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, once you have a different Christ, you no longer have uh, the opportunity to be saved uh, through, self, uh, through faith in, in that Christ. Boy, that's important. That's important. The totality of Bible teaching about Christ, the doctrine of Christ, is critically important because if you don't have the right Christ, you don't have salvation. That's important. Now listen, I don't mean to imply that you have to understand every little teaching about Christ in the Bible when you come to him for salvation. No. 
but you do have to come to the Christ of Scripture uh, for salvation. You do have to understand that he's the only begotten son. You do have to understand that he's God the Son and that he's the only way to God the Father. You've got to have some of these broad stroke uh, themes or, or major truths about Christ when you come to him for salvation. There's no other way. And so... Uh, we take great care to understand who Christ is according to the Bible, not according to the teachings of men, but the Christ of Scripture. Uh, praise God, praise God for the words of God and all the teaching about who uh, our Savior is. And, uh, it'd be a wonderful uh, opportunity uh, or suggestion for you to uh, read through the New Testament once with the goal of capturing down all of the truths about Christ. And I have an outline that you can use uh, from school if, if you're interested in that. Uh, it's an outline that you can use, kind of a, a way to capture all the different places that the Bible teaches uh, different truths about Christ. That would be a great exercise and no doubt a great encouragement to you. Well, let's move on now in verse 10. Uh, John warns about giving uh, wrong encouragement uh, to those who hold to a false doctrine of Christ. I want you to understand, uh, I don't mean that it's wrong to encourage someone who's in error to encourage them to come over to truth. That's not what we mean. Uh, what John is doing here is teaching that it's wrong to encourage someone, to give them any encouragement about uh, remaining in error about Christ. Uh, he seems to be uh, teaching here that it, it's wrong, uh, sinful, wrong according to God's eyes, that, that would be sinful, uh, to, to give overt encouragement to someone who has false doctrine uh, about Christ, to say, well, you know, we, we may disagree on X, Y, and Z, but that's okay. Uh, no, that's not okay. Uh, or to give tacit approval, uh, to imply that it's okay to have a, an erroneous understanding of the Christ of Scripture, uh, that's wrong. That, that's wrong. Well, look here in verse 10. John says this. He writes uh, here exactly what the Holy Spirit has him to write. He says, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, well, what doctrine? The doctrine of Christ, the biblical teaching of Christ. John writes, this is a command, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Don't encourage him. Uh, don't allow him into the, into the house and don't encourage that person. Don't allow them in, in your acceptance of them or in your encouragement of them to conclude that it's okay to hold to false teaching regarding Christ. It's not okay. If you have an unbiblical Christ, there's no salvation. So obviously, uh, that would not be okay. John says, if there come any unto you, you all, <laughs> uh, bring, and bring not this doctrine, Bible truth about Christ, receive him not into your house. There should be separation. Uh, neither bid him, bid him <laughs> neither bid him Godspeed. There should be no encouragement to continue uh, in the error. Now let me say a couple things about this verse. I, it's, it's a little bit difficult because 
You know, if we understand that John is writing to a literal woman uh, who has a literal house, uh, the verse is teaching that uh, you, you, you could not invite someone into your home uh, for the purpose of teaching them truth. Uh, if any come unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house. Uh, that would prohibit us from inviting the Jehovah's Witness who's come to our door uh, to the kitchen table for a cup of coffee uh, where we could open our Bibles and share truth uh, with that person. Um, I think uh, you might be a little uncomfortable with, with that idea. Um, I, um, I read various uh, men who we would generally agree with and uh, I found one man who suggests this. He says, you know what, um, if, if we understand, well, whether or not we understand that this verse is being written to a church, uh, it's quite possible that the house that John is referring to here is, is the house of God, uh, the house of God, uh, the church. Uh, certainly, we could all agree that we would not invite someone into our membership if they hold to a false doctrine of Christ. Uh, we would view that person uh, typically as, as lost. If they don't have the biblical Christ, they can't be saved, uh, and therefore they don't meet the minimal requirements to be a, a, a member of the church. So that person should not be invited into the church membership uh, if they have a false doctrine of Christ. And uh, again, this would be a good way to understand this verse if in fact we view it as a letter that is written to a church, I think in that context, uh, that makes good sense. Um, otherwise, uh, we would literally be prohibited from inviting someone in to share uh, into the home to share truth with them. And I'm not sure that's what the Lord in in intends here. Um, let's look now at the very last phrase of the verse. He says, uh, neither bid him Godspeed. Uh, God's speed is, is more commonly, the words that are underlining, the, the, the Greek that underlines God's speed is, is more commonly uh, translated rejoice. Uh, it is also translated farewell. Farewell, uh, when you say farewell, you think of that as being um, just goodbye, right? But literally, consider the meaning of those words, farewell, you're, you're literally wishing them well. Uh, again, the underlying word is, trans it is often translated rejoice. Uh, so uh, here, again, John seems to be uh, prohibiting the idea that we would give encouragement to someone who is holding to false doctrine of Christ, encouragement that might be interpreted that it's okay to remain in that error. Um, John says in verse 11 that to do so would make you a partaker of his evil deeds. Look at verse 11. He says, for he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. And uh, certainly to encourage either uh, to imply encouragement or to give overt encouragement uh, to a cultist who has a false Christology, uh, that'd be quite evil indeed. Uh, to do or say anything or to not do or say anything that that person might interpret as uh, acceptance 
of their false doctrine or uh, as, a, as a, a way of communicating that, you know, our doctrine's different, but it's really okay. We sort of believe the same things. Well, we are called to refrain from doing anything that would lead a person to conclude that we think it's okay that their false Christology is okay with us or okay with God, because it's not, because it's not. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house. If this is a literal house, we need to be extremely careful. Uh, in any event, we, we should neither bid him Godspeed, don't do or say anything that could be interpreted as encouragement or acceptance of their false doctrine. Let's move on now. Uh, here in verse 12, John is closing his letter now. Uh, verses 12 and 13 are really kind of the closing uh, portion. Uh, he encourages, um, forgive me, he closes his letter by expressing his hope uh, to visit them uh, and to speak with them face to face and that doing so, having that opportunity to fellowship together uh, face to face in person uh, would be an occasion for joy. And of course, we understand this morning that uh, Christian fellowship should always be an occasion for joy. When you come into the church at 11 o'clock this morning or at 6 o'clock on Wednesday night, uh, that should be an occasion for joy, uh, coming together with brothers and sisters in Christ and uh, coming into the special presence of the Lord uh, together as we assemble together. Boy, that should be an occasion for joy. And I realize we, we, we come in uh, bearing the burdens of the week and uh, with a calling to bear each other's burdens uh, in prayer and, and so forth. But nonetheless, having that privilege uh, is an occasion uh, for joy. And boy, we ought not to lose sight of that. John writes uh, in verse 12, having many things to write unto you, uh, I, I would not write, I, I won't write with paper and ink, but I trust to, to come unto you. Remember the Y-O-U is, is plural to, to all of them to whom he's writing, uh, and to speak face to face, uh, the underlying language is literally mouth to mouth, and we do see that it translated that way uh, actually in the Old Testament. Uh, he desires that they would speak face to face uh, to have the privilege to come into um, uh, each other's presence. Uh, why? Well, the last phrase is, is the why, not just cause, uh, but that or so that our joy, each other, that we, uh, our joy may be full. Uh, he desired that they would have the opportunity to come together, to fellowship together, uh, that he might uh, encourage with, with more doctrine, more teaching, more fellowship, uh, so that uh, the result of that would be our joy uh, in Christ. Uh, the joy that's possible in Christ uh, may be full, not less than the joy uh, that God desires that we have. Now listen, I want to say this this morning. Uh, understand, please, that the Lord desires... Uh, to impart joy uh, into our hearts, into our spirits, and, uh, and not less joy than he intends. Uh, John here is writing under inspiration of the Spirit of God, uh, the one who brings forth fruit of our salvation, fruit of the Spirit in our lives, uh, which includes joy. 
uh, John's desire, uh, well, it's the Lord's desire that he's sharing, is that our joy be full. Uh, you understand this morning that joy uh, isn't necessarily, Christian uh, biblical joy isn't necessarily this super emotional thing, but uh, it's a wonderful confidence in the Lord. Uh, when you have a biblical doctrine of Christ and you're saved, uh, there can be a wonderful confidence uh, in the Lord and, and a wonderful peace in our hearts uh, and, and a joy that encompasses all of those things despite our circumstances, despite losing a loved one or struggling financially or struggling with health concerns or some family relationship issue, whatever it is, uh, there can be a wonderful, peaceful confidence in Christ, a true Christian joy that's brought forth by the Spirit of God as we yield the Spirit. And hey, that can be encouraged as we fellowship together uh, and share related biblical truths uh, with one another. And that was John's desire. That's what he's communicating. He's, he's encouraging uh, them that uh, he, he has a real desire to come together uh, and to stoke their joy that way, that our joy may be full. Um, in uh, 1 John 1 and verse 4, John, John uh, writes, These things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Uh, 1 John deals uh, a great deal <laughs> with uh, proofs of salvation or evidences uh, of salvation. So there again, allusions to the doctrine of Christ. Uh, John wrote that first letter as God directed him to under inspiration, uh, so that people could understand that there are evidences of salvation in their life. And if those evidences are missing, maybe they need to kind of back up and, and consider their salvation. But once those evidences of salvation are there, uh, you know you've repented of sin and placed your faith in Christ, and there's biblical evidences of, of that having uh, been the case. Uh, you can rejoice in that, and you can know a real full joy that is brought forth by the Spirit of God as we yield to the Spirit of God. So uh, John, uh, the Lord through John, it takes uh, care uh, to express this idea that right doctrine, right doctrine is really a basis for Christian joy. Lord desires that we have not just a little joy, but a, but a full joy, the full complement of joy that is available to us in Christ. Uh, Paul wrote similarly to the Romans in uh, Romans 1 and verse 11. He says, for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, during his earthly ministry, uh, used similar language uh, regarding his desire that believers have joy. In John 17 and verse 13, here Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, Now I come to thee, uh, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. This is the Lord's desire that Christians would know real, genuine joy 
uh, and a full dose, a full complement of the joy that God desires. In Romans 15 and verse 13, Paul writes to the Romans, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy. That's a prayer. Uh, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Do you see how those uh, words relate together in Scripture? Uh, fill you with all joy and peace in believing, in believing in the Christ of Scripture, that ye may abound in hope through the power. How, Paul? Through the power of the Holy Ghost through the co-creator of all things, the one who has that much power. I've mentioned this morning that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. A believer, one who has repented and placed his or her faith in the true Christ of Scripture uh, and who yields to the Spirit of God can know the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Uh, and a full complement of those things. Praise God. Praise God. John closes in verse 13, and we're done. He says, uh, he shares a greeting from uh, her elect sister. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Uh, amen. So be it. So let it be. Let's stop there and pray. Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, for your words. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much for... Uh, the truth of your words. Lord, thank you that uh, we can have great confidence in our King James Bible. It's accurately translated from the words that you not only promised to preserve, but you have preserved. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you. Father, thank you for this short letter. Uh, it's encouragement to, uh, to love, uh, to be loving, uh, and to do so by sharing the truth of thy words. Lord, thank you this morning for the truths regarding Christ. Thank you for the doctrine of Christ that we may distill out of your words. Uh, thank you for uh, the teaching uh, that you've given us regarding thy son, uh, who he is, what he's like, what he's done for us. Lord, thank you for the certainty this morning that anyone that would repent toward you uh, and place his or her faith in Christ is forgiven, is forgiven. Uh, the sacrifice, the payment of Christ is paid onto our account with you and you are satisfied. Lord, that's an occasion for rejoicing, uh, for joy. Father, I love you this morning. Thank you for your words, for their truth, for their encouragement, for their power in my life. Lord, work here in our church today. I pray that you bring each one here safely this morning for our 11 o'clock service. Lord, that you would work mightily in it for your honor and for your glory. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen.